Well, before we get into this morning's message and before Pastor All comes up, I'm going to share a few announcements of what we have going on over the next uh, month to two months. And so um, our first announcement is couples dinner. Now, ladies, you can just kind of zone out on this one. Just kind of take it easy. I'm going to speak to the men here. Uh, men, Valentine's is coming up. You know, and I know how long it takes me to plan a, a, an awesome time for my wife for Valentine's and, um, and how hard it is, but I've got a deal for you. February, it's coming up, the 11th, 6.30 p.m. here at the church. Men, how awesome would it be that you, on your own accord, went back to the information table today after church and signed up to be part of that and, and then just uh, got your tickets and just, just organized the whole thing. Your wife would be impressed. She really would. She would know that you love her, care for her, desire for her to be happy, and that would be awesome. So we have the opportunity for that. I know a lot of you are giggling and, and that, and, but I, how many times have we forgotten Valentine's and the day comes around and it's like, oh, no, I didn't plan anything for my wife. So we have this for you. We have this for you. So get back there to the sign-up table, men. Sign up for our Valentine's couples dinner. Again, it's... Uh, February, Friday, February 11th, 6.30 p.m. The cost is $60. That will cover a meal um, that is going to be catered uh, for the church. And so it's just going to be a wonderful time as we join together as a church and just celebrate the love that the Lord has blessed us with and our wives and our marriages. And that, that is something to be celebrated. And so we want to encourage you men, women, if you need to, take your husband back there and have him help you sign up. And... Uh, Get signed up for that so we know how many, how many meals to provide. Up next, we have our foundations class meeting coming up. Now, we know that there are some new people here at the church, and uh, once again, we welcome you, and we, um, we know that the Lord has a mighty work to do through you in this church. And so we offer these classes every so often. Uh, the classes are to kind of share a little bit about who Refuge is, who this, this church is, what we believe uh, really, it's just the foundation of the church, hence the word foundations class. And so if you've never taken uh, the foundations class and you're new here, uh, we want to invite you to get signed up for that. It's uh, a three-week-long class, but it's only one day a week. Uh, generally, it's after church on Sundays, uh, and the class is held here on the, on the church premises. It's about an hour-long class, and we will just share with you a little bit about uh, the foundation of this church, what we believe uh, what we desire, and uh, just kind of make sure that you're aware of that. And if you do desire to also get involved and be part of the ministries uh, here, it also allows us to get to know you and who you are also. So I want to encourage you, uh, get to the back sign-up table and sign up for that also if you have never uh, attended the Foundations class. <clears throat> when was the last time you went to the movies? Maybe, maybe some of you, it's been a couple years. Uh, so we have a movie, movie night coming up before the wrath. Have anybody seen that movie? Have we seen it? Is it good? It's a good movie. It's a good movie. Let's, uh, uh, it's going to be January 30th at 7 p.m. Now we have reserved an actual movie theater to be showing this movie. And so, uh, we have about 70 tickets, uh, left for the movie. The cost is going to be $9. And again, that's January 30th, 7 p.m., uh, so go to the back information table, get your family signed up for that. Uh, it's a great movie. Uh, once again, it's called Before the Wrath. And so I want to encourage you to sign up. You know, there's not a lot of movies out there that we can endorse as a church. Not a lot of movies that we can endorse to grab your kids and take your family to. But this is definitely one of them. And so I want to encourage you, get signed up for that movie um, before it comes around so that uh, we can get a good head count and uh, let the movie theater know how many we will be bringing in. Men, we have the Men's Bible Fit Fellowship coming up. Are you excited? We're going to be going through Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians as men. Uh, I want to encourage you. There are some out there that have uh, procrastinated a little bit, and that's okay. Uh, I want to encourage you to get to the back table today to sign up. The cost is $15, and that pays for uh, the studies and all of the um, things that go along with that. And so, uh, men, I want to encourage you. Get back there, sign up. If not, we will be sending around a crew uh, to uh, get you signed up. And so uh, we just want to encourage you as men. You know, we need a lot of fellowship. We need, uh, we need to come alongside each other as brothers, lifting each other up, strengthening each other, encouraging each other. 
sometimes uh, getting a little forceful with each other, getting each other back in line. And so, uh, men, there, there's, um, there's something to be said about having a group of brothers around you. And these men's fellowships that we, um, that we, we have are, are just that. They're just the thing for, for you to keep us in line, to encourage us, and to strengthen us. And so, men, get signed up for that at the back table. And last today, we have a meeting. I believe the meeting is going to be held in the youth suite. So if you have children of school age, um, if you didn't know, the church is going to be starting a co-op for that, for the teaching of your children. And so I want to encourage you, if you do have those school age kids uh, um, and you're not sure what this is, uh, get get to the back classroom uh, today after church. I believe it's going to be uh, within the first uh, 30 minutes or so after church. So um, I want to encourage you to get back there, see what this is about. Um, if you desire to get involved and to help out with it also, uh, maybe you've been doing homeschooling for quite a while and you, you know the ins and outs of it and you want to be a part of it, you want to help out also, get to that back classroom for the meeting this afternoon. Uh, with that, Pastor, I'll come on up for today's message. Good morning. It is certainly wonderful to be here. I'm excited about what the Lord has done throughout the whole week of prayer and fasting. And, um, you know, um, the Lord is faithful and he desires um, to do just a specific special work in each and every one of our hearts. And uh, and I would hope that we are open uh, to receive whatever it is that he has for us this morning. Um, Do we... Are you able to, I don't know, I know my son sent uh, the, the trailer, but are we able to, to show that? Or, what's that? After, okay. Yeah, because I was thinking, you know, the best way to really give you a glimpse of what the movie is all about is by showing you the trailer. Um, it, but the, the movie, Before the Wrath, uh, even if you've watched it, I would encourage you to, um, if you'd like to, Watch it again, just all as a group. Uh, invite maybe family, friends, neighbors, co-workers, just others who, um, whether they're believers or they're not believers, to come to the movie because um, that is a, a great uh, evangelistic tool. Uh, this is a Galilean wedding and how the, the pictures, everything that's illustrated in a Galilean wedding is a picture of the rapture. And, uh, and so it's by no coincidence that it was all set up uh, through the teaching and through the life of Jesus in the region of the Sea of Galilee. And so uh, we'll show it afterwards. Um, I do have one other thing to announce this morning. Um, how many of you have been with Refuge from basically the very beginning? I would invite the leadership to come forward, all of you. For the most part, most of them have no idea what what I'm about to say. What's that? They've heard about it. Yeah, yeah. So the reason why I ask for those who have been with Refuge from the very beginning, um, you know our beginnings firsthand. You've been with us the whole time. Um, Our fellowship has always been one that is grounded in the very same like-minded beliefs and philosophies as Calvary Chapel. Um... My fellowship as a pastor, um, I have always looked to Pastor David Rosales as, as my pastor. I, I go to him for, for counsel, anything that um, he can pass, on, pass along my way to, to help us out in, uh, in, 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 and through refuge. And, uh, and so with that, you know, we've been in fellowship uh, with uh, Calvary Chapel. We've gone... It's uh, we go to their conferences, um, just 
everything about us, uh, the, the, the way in which we've um, uh, set up uh, just the church in general, the governing, um, everything um, has been just uh, really in line with that. And that is because it's a model of what we see in Scripture. As I said yesterday, uh, another church is not um, the model for us to follow. Uh, the, the model to follow is found in the pages of the Bible. And so, <clears throat> again, I've been in fellowship. We've been in fellowship with Calvary Chapel. And, uh, and I just want to give all glory to God because it's simply the right hand of fellowship that we've been extended uh, officially. And uh, as of January 19th, this is what was written to myself and directed to me. Dear all. I would like to welcome you into the Association of Calvary Chapel Fellowships. As you know, we are not a denomination and have no intention of ever becoming one. But instead, we are a group of men who love the Lord and desire to serve with others who are like-minded. And there's more to that. We will have a copy of the letter, and you're more than welcome to read through it. And, uh, and then it closes with this. With that said, God's blessings on you and welcome to the Fellowship of Calvary Chapel Churches, signed David Rosales. And so with that, it's, uh, it's a time to celebrate. Um, If you know, you know. <laughs> so let's all, let's all stand. <laughs> it's an affirmation to much. That's what that is. It's just an extension of the right hand of fellowship. So let's pray. Father, we are so thankful. Lord, you are faithful. Father, we have waited on you. Lord, I... Uh, We've been so grateful just to, to have other brothers who are like-minded, who we've been welcomed to be a part of. Lord, that uh, would never align with anyone who is in a wrong place. Lord, who teaches false doctrine. And so, Father, I am truly thankful. Lord, what you have done through this fellowship. And I, I look forward um, to much more. As you tarry, Lord, may we be about our Father's business, but we give you all the glory. Lord, it was certainly in your timing. It's been 12 years that we've been a church. And Lord, I pray, Father, that we are just as much a blessing um, to our brothers and sisters outside of these walls, Lord, to the other Calvary chapels as they are to us. And so, Father, we give you all the glory. We ask for your continued blessing, your anointing, and, uh, and Lord, we give you all the praise and glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So with that, let's get into the word. We're in Mark chapter 3. We're covering verses 22 through 35. And the title of this morning's message is God desires that no one perish. God desires that no one perish. <clears throat> so let's uh, start out by reading uh, what we're going to cover and uh, we start off in verse 22, of, again, of Mark chapter 3, which says, And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, He is possessed by Beelzebul, and by the prince of demons he casts out the demons. And he called them to him and said to them in parables, How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has 
risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand but is coming to an end. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man, then indeed he may plunder his house. Verse 28, Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man, and whatever blasphemies they utter, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they were saying he has an unclean spirit. And his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside they sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Father, through what we have just read, we understand and we know that you love us with an everlasting love. You wish that none should perish, but that all should reach repentance. That we of our own free will, as we come to know that you truly are the Savior, our Deliverer, and you, Father, have sent the Son to die in our place, and by the shedding of his blood we have the forgiveness of sins. Lord, that we of our own choosing believe and repent. Lord, as the world twists your word, as the deceiver deceives, as the liar lies, Lord, he will not stand for all eternity. You are eternal, and you have authority and power over him. Lord, you plunder his house, and you pluck those who are destined to hell through unbelief and condemnation out of that and into your very arms. We are truly thankful for that. And we ask, Lord, that you would speak to us this morning, Father, that, Lord, if we're concerned about the unforgivable sin, Lord, that we would understand what it is and do everything to avoid it, Lord, to not harden our hearts toward you, not reject the conviction of the Holy Spirit, but rather humbly receive and yield to you. And so, Father, we ask that you would speak to us this morning. We want to commit this time into your hands, Lord. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So regardless of who you are or what you've done, God desires that no one perish. Sometimes we think that, and this is of our own ignorance, it's because we don't know or perhaps because we're feeling sorry for ourselves, we think that there's, in some way, shape, or form we have perhaps done too much that we will never, never know salvation. We will never know what it is to be in glory with God. And yet I'm here to tell you that the gospel is good news. It is the news that God saves, that he sent his son to die on the cross in your place, to pay for all of your sins. It is through him, and it's by grace, through faith in Jesus Christ that we are saved. Not by works, lest any man should boast. And we would be boasting because we are boastful. But rest assured that whatever, whatever it is that anyone has done, the worst of the worst, in a moment, a person can completely be forgiven of that if they genuinely believe and repent of their sin. Listen, God desires that not a single person perish, not a single person remain in their sin and therefore be condemned and ultimately be cast into the lake of fire. But the decision is squarely left to the individual. That's one thing that cannot change. For God has set it up that way. God has offered us the free gift of forgiveness, of grace through Jesus Christ. 
but it's squarely left to the individual, to you. It is not a decision that is made for you. It is always an offer of salvation, an offer of God's grace. God is able to deliver each and every one of us from eternal condemnation, and he made it possible through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. And the only thing for you to do, again, is just believe and repent, turning from your sin and running to him. John chapter 11, verses 25 through 27, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? This is a question that he asked Martha. As Lazarus had died and Mary and Martha were at the house and, and Jesus was coming and, and, and he was speaking to Martha and asking her this very question. And she said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. The question for us this morning is, do we believe? And is it evident in our own lives, individual lives? Is there fruit? Is there evidence of that belief? Because Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. This is how we demonstrate that our faith is true, that it's sincere, that it's genuine, that we truly know salvation in Christ Jesus. Again, God desires that no one perish. C.H. Spurgeon said this, quote, If sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies. And if they perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped about their knees, imploring them to say, to stay. If hell must be filled, let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions, and let not one go unwarned and unprayed for. Close quote. We ought to be grieved by those who are lost. You know, we are called to make disciples of all nations, but we are also called to do the work of an evangelist. I believe that's one area that we have many excuses not to do. We fail to open up our mouths because we have the excuse that we don't know enough. If you're saved, you know enough. You've experienced salvation. You've experienced God's grace. You can say, I don't know how it works other than Jesus died for me on the cross. He shed his blood on my behalf and he paid for my sins in full. It is through him that I have the forgiveness of sins. And it's by grace that I am saved. I have faith in him. And one day I will see him again. Can you say that? Do you know that? Therefore, we ought to do the work of an evangelist and simply proclaim the gospel, the good news that Jesus saves. Let no one, let no one go unwarned and unprayed for. Plead with them. It's worth it. Do the work of an evangelist. Because God desires that no one should perish and we should reflect that very character in his desires in our own life. This morning as we consider the text before us, we will see that number one, Jesus is able to deliver you from eternal condemnation. Secondly, that it is a person's own rejection of the Spirit's work of revealing who Jesus is and conviction of sin that ultimately damns them. And thirdly, that God's family is known only by those who believe, repent, and prove their faith and sincerity by willingly yielding to the authority of God and his word. Let's start out with the first point, that is, a house divided will fall. Again, verse 22 says, And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, He is possessed by Beelzebul, and by the prince of demons he casts out the demons. And he called them to him and said to them in parables, How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but is coming to an end. A house divided will fall. That is a biblical principle. That is true. It is true of Satan, and it is true of you and I. Think about that. That is why division is such a 
such a, a large and destructful sin within the church. As division comes within the church, it brings destruction and it undermines the very work that the Lord desires to see accomplished in his body, in the church itself. It is a truth. These scribes that had come to Galilee from Jerusalem, they were sent to do an official work. They were officials that were given the official task of evaluating the ministry of Jesus to determine something not positive, not to affirm him, not to confirm him, but simply to destroy him. Look with me again at Mark chapter 3, just a couple messages ago in, in verse 6. It says, The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. This is what their intention was. The religious establishment were not interested in allowing Jesus to threaten their way of life. What they have come to know as far as their position and power and authority among the people. They were quick to determine that Jesus' casting out of demons was not of God. They, they spoke it, doesn't mean it was true. They were quick to say that it was a work of Satan. And in fact, they were saying quite literally that Jesus was possessed by Satan and empowered to do these very works. Hold your place there and let's go to Luke chapter 11. This is the same account, but it gives a few more details as far as this situation was concerned. Luke chapter 11, verse 14 says, Now he was casting out a demon that was mute. This is what he was doing. When the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke, and the people marveled. But some of them said he cast out demons by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, while others, to test him, kept seeking from him a sign from heaven. But he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and a divided household falls. And if Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebul, and if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. But if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man fully armed guards his own palace, his goods are safe. But when one stronger than he attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoil. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. And so we, we know by this account what Jesus was doing prior to being approached and being accused by the scribes of casting out these demons by the power of Satan. He was casting out a demon that was mute. And when the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke and the people marveled. And then even then, the people were still looking for additional signs to prove that certainly he was who he said he was. A sign from heaven. How many times do we do the same thing? Oh, he has shown to us that he's faithful. He's demonstrated time and time again that he is able. And yet we still are looking for, for signs. Well, God, if you do that, we're making, we're making deals with him, right? If you just do this, then I'll have more faith. No, just have faith that what you know is true. And his promises are yes and amen. But he said a couple things there. 
He was reasoning with them. He was saying, if I, and if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Great question, right? Should have made them think. Therefore, they will be your judges. And then he said, when a strong man fully armed, uh, fully armed uh, guards his own palace, his goods are safe. But when one stronger than he attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoil. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. He was making a distinction. He was drawing the line very clearly. And so what he was doing by this is he was, by their own words, by their own accusation, by their own argument, he was explaining to them that what they were saying made no sense whatsoever. You know, sometimes you don't have to say anything but just simply repeat what someone is saying that is speaking things that are false. Knowing what is true, that simply reflects the fact that it's false. It's simple, but it's an effective way of revealing and establishing that which is true. Listen, they were confusing, they were deceptive, and they were just plain wrong. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 33 says, For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. You know, I hear many people, even today, as they're, they're looking at situations, and I hear this often. Perhaps you've said it. I'm you can probably finish it. Confused. I'm confused. What do I do? If, if we know Scripture, if we've been walking with the Lord for any length of time, then God help us because we're just simply not going to the Word for the answers to life and godliness. In fact, I, I just, again, just Scripture, Scripture, Scripture. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 3 says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. That is the very reason why we don't need much counsel if we know God's word. We just need reminders. We just need someone to point it out and say, this is what you ought to be doing. Simply that. The only reason why we're confused if we know God's word and not do it is because we're rebelling. We're choosing not to. We want our way and not God's way. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 12. The Lord sets us in a right mind by the knowledge of Christ Jesus our Lord and as we search throughout the scriptures. I, I just want to encourage you, church, because I have seen much within the church, I understand where we can be. But be encouraged. Look to the word. Trust in the word. Have confidence in the word. And know that the Holy Spirit will lead you in all truth. God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. So you should have at some point, even though your circumstances are not favorable in our eyes, know that if you're doing the right thing, you'll have a peace before God. Remember that it says in James 1, 2 through 4, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. It's serving to do a work for you and for the glory of God. I wanted to read this because we need to understand that there is a heaven and a hell. There is a lake of fire reserved for Satan and the demons. And unfortunately, it's for those who reject Christ as well. 
In Revelation chapter 12, verse 7, it says, Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they loved not their lives even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath, because he knows that his time is short. Here's where Satan first attacks. Remember what I said? What we say often, I'm confused. Where does that come? Why is that there? The mind, the thoughts. That's where it begins. If your mind ain't right, ain't nothing right. Satan attacks the mind and twists our thoughts. God does not do that. God orders our thoughts and desires sound faith in him because he is good and he desires that we have life eternal in him. Jesus said, I have come that you may have life and that more abundantly. He desires that you be of a sound mind, sound doctrine, that we would walk uprightly before the Lord. But Satan is the deceiver of the whole world, and he is the accuser of the brethren. You see, what he does is he dangles a little carrot, temptation before you. And at some point, he tells you, oh, that's good, you know, have it your way, you know, be happy, be satisfied, be content, love yourself. You need to learn how to just do what really satisfied you. And forget everyone else. Surround yourself with people who agree with you in that. And at some point, if you're, if you're convinced of, of that, that, and it doesn't matter how old you are. It really doesn't. Satan will wait and wait and wait and wait. And it'll tempt you and tempt you and tempt you and tempt you. It doesn't matter if you're 18, if you're 28 or 78 or 88. It doesn't matter. Temptation is there and he'll dangle. The moment you take a bite of that temptation, it becomes sin. He changes over. He says, God, did you see what he did? Wait a minute. I thought you were with me. I thought you were for me. No, I'm not for you. I'm against you. He's the accuser of the brethren. He seeks to kill, steal, and destroy. 1 Peter 5.8 says, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to de devour. Anyone to devour. It doesn't matter. He's looking to undermine and take everyone out. Including you. And so with all of this, as we consider this and what Jesus is saying in Mark chapter 3, he's making it plain through a parable that what they were accusing him of was absolute nonsense. It was false. Jesus used a simple story to illustrate a spiritual truth. He called, a, just imagine this, they tell him this and he calls them over to him. And he confronted them with this parable. He asked them a simple question, just to begin the parable. How can Satan cast out Satan? Think a little bit. Sometimes these are all, this is all that we need to answer our own question, our own doubt, our own confusion. Just a simple question. This, this is the Jewish way of bringing about truth. This was traditional for the Jewish people. 
This is the manner in which Jesus oftentimes confronted those around him. You ask a question, he'll, he'll answer with a question. And that is what he does even today. You ask me a question, the Lord will ask you a question. And he says, how can Satan cast out Satan? The answer to the question, he gives the answer. If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. Not may not stand, but cannot stand. You see, Jesus is telling them what they already know. If what they are saying is true, then this kingdom will not stand and soon it will come to an end. And that's what he told them. But these scribes were not interested in truth. Notice that Jesus didn't have a lengthy exchange with them. It, it, it was simple and to the point. These scribes were not interested in the truth. They were interested in preserving their own place in the world by destroying Jesus, who threatened that at the expense of truth. Do you, do you know of any group of people who are elevating themselves or preserving their position and authority at the expense of truth? Listen, this is, this is something that we can apply practically to everyday life. Do you know of anyone who is twisting the truth, who is trying to deceive in order to preserve themselves, and it's at the expense of truth? This is what they were doing. Luke eleven nineteen says, And if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? He even makes uh, the point uh, a little bit more personal, personal. Because then he says, Therefore they will be your judges. Jesus is the one able to bind the strong man and plunder his house. This is who he was referring to in this parable. In this parable, Satan is a strong man who is bound, and Jesus is the one who has the power to bind the strong man and plunder his house. And one day, as we read in Revelation 20, his dominion and destructive works will come to a complete end for all eternity. To that, we say amen, and we can't wait till that day, right? One day, we will not have all of this. Again, we need to come back to personal application. Are you allowing Satan to twist the truth in your own mind and heart? Are you allowing yourself to follow your own heart? Remember, the heart is deceitful and wicked. Who can know it? When, when the world says follow your heart, <laughs> just, again, go to Scripture and note, we cannot trust our hearts. I don't trust my heart. I have emotions, but I don't trust my emotions. I do everything I can to not follow those emotions, my heart. My desires, I don't trust my desires. Why? Because they can deceive me. And later, if I give in to those desires that are not of God, then, of course, they will serve to testify against me. Are you seeking to preserve your place in the world? Are you seeking to preserve your own will? Matthew chapter 16, verses 24 through 26 says this, and Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? Secondly, we see the unforgivable sin. Verse 28 says, Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man, and whatever blasphemies they utter, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they were saying he has an unclean spirit. 
the most serious of sins, blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. There are other blasphemies, but the one that is unforgivable is the one against the Holy Spirit. It is the cursing of the Holy Spirit to utterly reject Him, to have contempt for the Holy Spirit and His work, a complete irreverence toward Him. For these people that He was addressing, the scribes, were they in danger of the sin? And the answer is yes, or else Jesus would have no reason to bring it up. It was in this conversation, it was in this confrontation that Jesus referred to the unforgivable sin. Did they still have an opportunity to repent of their sin? Absolutely. But they were in danger and the Lord was giving them a warning. What were they saying that was so egregious and potentially eternally damning? We see how it is and what it is where they were saying he has an unclean spirit. Basically what they were saying is, is that God, God's work was actually Satan's work. They were attributing his works to Satan. And it was evil and not good. In Isaiah chapter 5, verse 18 it says, Woe to those who draw iniquity with cords of falsehood, who draw sin as their cart ropes, who say, Let him be quick, let him speed his work, that we may see it. Let the counsel of the Holy One of Israel draw near, and let it come, that we may know it. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and shrewd in their own sight. Woe to those who are heroes at drinking wine and valiant men in mixing strong drink who acquit the guilty for a bribe and deprive the innocent of his right. There's a warning. There's, there's a warning to not do this. That which is good, call good. That which is evil, call evil. Uh, confess it for what it is. Don't accept wrong and say it's right. And don't call out that which is right, wrong. It's just backwards. It's not right. You start to confuse people. There's a lot of confusion in our world today. A lot of confusion. I, I don't know where to start. And you know those confusions. And you know where they're starting? This is where the world is starting, with our kids. It's with our kids. The world is, is trying to confuse them. If they, can, if they can be confused, then they grow up to be confused adults. If they're confused adults, at some point, they will practice anything that the world throws their way. Not only that, but they'll be teaching their kids that which is not of the Lord. It'll be confused. It'll be just chaos, and it would be disorder. It would be a doubting God, and, and it is at this point in many ways. And we have a world that is calling good evil and evil good. This is what the scribes were doing. This is the very thing that the scribes were doing. How is it that they were blaspheming against the Holy Spirit? How can we blaspheme against the Holy Spirit? Simply by this, by rejecting his work. Rejecting and completely rebelling against it. In Mark, or I mean in uh, John chapter 16, we see the work of the Holy Spirit. In John chapter 16, verse 4, it says, um, I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. Verse 5, but now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is, so, it is to your advantage that I go away, for, I, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin 
because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine, therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. And in verse uh, 26 of chapter 15, it says, But when the Helper comes, that is the Holy Spirit, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. The work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit convicts of sin. He guides you in all the truth. He glorifies Jesus and bears witness about Jesus. He testifies of who Jesus is. A person who has committed this sin will never be grieved by its possibility in their own lives. In other words, by the possibility that they are perhaps in some way, shape, or form sinning. It won't, it won't grieve them. At some point, their, their hearts, their consciences will be seared. But they will demonstrate, and this is God's hope, a broken humility before him that does know conviction of sin is guided in all truth in their own lives and are themselves testifying of Jesus as the Holy Spirit has shown them who he is and they have come to repent and believe. It's dangerous when someone has absolutely no response to the truth of God's word when they simply could care less it's a dangerous place to be. Henry Ironside said this, quote, These words were never intended to torment anxious souls, honestly desiring to know Christ. And he was speaking of the unforgivable sin. But they stand out as a blazing beacon warning of the danger of persisting in the rejection of the Spirit's testimony of Christ until the seared conscience no longer responds to the gospel message, close quote. Oh, what a sad moment it is when, when someone has reached that place of having their conscience seared and having no feeling whatsoever toward the work of the Holy Spirit and his conviction over our sin. Lastly, there's a reference to God's family in the closing verses of this chapter. Verse 31, And his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him and called him. And the crowd was sitting around him. And they said to him, Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God... He is my brother and sister and mother. By the way, it is very plain that Jesus had actual sisters, actual brothers. Therefore, any religion that claims that Mary's virginity was perpetual and that Jesus did not have brothers and sisters is false. They are teaching what is false. It's, I, I don't know how else to say it. It's false, Right? We read it for ourselves two times even. You can read it for yourself and then figure out who it is that James is also. It's his brother. There was no heavenly assumption of Mary and she is not the co-redemptress with Jesus and she is not to be worshipped in a like manner to Jesus or even less held above him. Listen, the text is plain, and anyone can read it for themselves. 
and know it to be true that Jesus had brothers and sisters. Something to think about is why was Jesus' family outside? Why did they send for him? Why did they call for him? Well, in Mark chapter 3, verses 20 and 21, as we go back a little bit, it says, Then he went home, and the crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him. For they were saying he is out of his mind. In other words, they were going to save him. You're out of your mind. You don't know what you're doing. And so we're here to help you out. Jesus, come with us. You're, you could say, in, in a sense, you're making a fool out of yourself. Well, I don't know how many times I, in my own life I have thought of as, being, as a fool. And God does use the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. So that's all right. But that is my life in Christ. The decisions that I make. My way of life. The people that were closest to me at one point, they say, well, we know you better than anyone else. We know who you are. To that I say, no, you don't. Absolutely not. For in Christ I am a new creature. The old things have passed away. A lot of that is is just shameful. You knew the old role. You you knew me in the past. The things that I did, that that I partook of, the things that I participated in, they are things of the past. I am not the same. You may think I am out of my mind, but I'm actually in my right mind with Christ. And for that, I stand with the Lord Jesus Christ, and he's the one I follow. I, I, don't, I don't bend to the will of those who actually don't know me and think that they do. This was his family prior to, you see, during Jesus' earthly ministry, his family did not believe in him. Did you know that? We see it in Scripture. They did not believe in who he said he was. They were trying to seize him. They were trying to help him out, like, we're here for you. Hey, can you go in there for him and tell him, you know, mom's here and his brothers and sisters, we're here to take him away. Give him a little hand. It wasn't until after his resurrection that they came to believe. After his resurrection. In fact, they taunted Jesus. You have brothers and sisters who taunt you? That's what they're there for. That's just what they, that's just what they do. Right? But they were always telling him to prove himself. In John chapter 7, we see that. Verse 1 says, After this Jesus went about in Galilee, he would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now, the Jews... Feast of Boos was at hand. So his brothers said to him, Leave here and go to Judea, that your disciples also may see the works you are doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the crowd. For not even his brothers believed in him. So, in other words, those weren't encouraging words. They were thinking in worldly terms, thinking Jesus wanted to become a great rabbi. Someone who is great in the eyes of the world. Someone with great earthly success. Someone with lots of followers. Listen, those who do not know the work uh, of a pastor, think in the same terms. I have family. I have people that tell me the same thing. Oh, you know, uh, just expressing a worldly way of thinking. Uh, You have great success. You know, things are going so well for you. It's like, no, that's not the point. It has nothing to do with me. It has to do with fulfilling whatever it is that the Lord desires for me to do. And it should be the same for you. They were thinking in worldly terms. Someone with great earthly success. Someone with, with lots of followers. But all Jesus was here to do is be faithful to the will of the Father. To fulfill His will. 
to go to the cross. Imagine that. And serve as a sacrifice that God provided himself that all who believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. That was, that was his whole purpose for coming. That by the shedding of his blood there would be forgiveness of sins as his sacrifice satisfied the wrath of God toward our sin. Jesus confronts the religious leaders of the day and us this morning, warning of the danger of eternal condemnation, pointing out who is truly his family. Whoever, for whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Jesus is able to save because he is more powerful than Satan or anything and everyone. No one is his match. He has the authority to bind Satan and plunder the world because he is the creator and he is the sustainer of the world. And as Jesus does plunder a fallen world, I hope that he plunders it even more and more as we see these dark days. Because in doing so, he is saving souls from eternal condemnation. Plundering Satan's reign over sinners. But those who reject the work of the Holy Spirit, that is, his work to convict of sin, to lead to Christ, and to seal those who surrender their, their lives to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, will ultimately remain condemned and bound to Satan in hell. Listen, if you're here and you have never made, you, you never perhaps saw this as being true this is serious this is not to be left for tomorrow i remember the moment that i realized that this this was a decision to be made now if you knew my past i could give the excuse just like everyone else i mean my my idols were many many myself included oh i loved myself and i wanted everything to to make me happy that's just who i was so if, if, if anyone would look, I remember the first time that a childhood friend came through the doors and we saw each other in church. We were like, what? How? You? And I said the same thing. You? Really? <laughs> Troy and Troy may be watching right now. We played ball together. I was a pitcher, he was a catcher. We enjoyed that, but we were in the world. But I'm so glad that Jesus plundered, plundered his reign over me. And I, in one moment, I remember just being explained the gospel and at one point just being given the invitation, hey, listen, right now, if you don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, I would just ask you to pray and ask God for forgiveness. Ask Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. Repent of your sin. Believe in Jesus Christ and repent of your sin. I remember at that very moment, It was, a, it was a complete surrender. The old me died. I was crucified with Christ. I never regret that moment. It was a moment when I knew all my sins had been taken up by the Lord. He had judged my sins, past, present, and future. At that very moment, I could rejoice. I could be thankful and grateful. Knowing that I had been forgiven. I've come to know salvation. And I belong to Jesus Christ. He is my Lord and Savior. If you have not done that, I, I would implore you. Allow the Lord to speak to you, to remind you of how much he loves you. At this very moment, I would ask that you would surrender your life to Jesus Christ. You will never regret it. And join the family of God. Because those who are truly brothers and sisters, the family of God, belonging to Jesus Christ, are those who believe and listen to this and do the will of God. 
You want to know if you're his? Do you do the will of God? That is how. Because it says in James 2.24, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. In other words, if you read James chapter 2, you could read through it. It says that it's those works that determine whether your faith is genuine or not. The works proving the faith claimed. God desires that no one should perish. Come, believe, repent. And know an eternal family in Jesus Christ, delivered from sin, and will one day, you will know glory with Jesus our Lord and Savior. Father, we thank you that it is your kindness that draws us unto you. And I do ask, Lord, just simply in accordance to your will, that if there's anyone here who does not know that salvation, that this very moment would be the moment of salvation, that they would completely surrender to you, that they would know the forgiveness of their sins and the hope of eternally being in your glory. There would be no more question about it. There would be no more doubt, no more confusion, because that is not of you. It is of Satan, the devil. I pray, Lord, that you would put them in their right mind in Christ Jesus, that they would be new, new creations, new creatures, Lord, with new hearts, new minds that are set on you. And so for them, Lord, I know you welcome them into your family, Father, but I pray, Lord, that we would surround them and just love on them and welcome them into the fellowship of the saints. And I pray for the church that we may be pure and holy. Father, that we would be mindful of you, that we would not allow ourselves to be deceived, confused in our minds, doubt in our hearts. That we, Lord, would simply go to the truth of your word and declare it not just by mouth, but by deed as well. That we would prove that we truly trust in you, we have faith in you, and we love you. So, Father, we thank you for your word. Let it resonate in our hearts, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.